Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon. First warning on this podcast, it is going to be quite different than the remaining uh, no, of the No Laying Up podcast. No PGA Tour golf here. I'm just going to talk about my recent golf trip to Ireland. Uh, this podcast actually came very highly requested. I wasn't planning on doing one, but uh, a lot of people sent messages in saying that they'd like to hear uh, a debrief on the trip. Um, so if you don't want to tune into the rest of this episode, I will not judge you for it. Uh, I've already got your download, so I'm not really that concerned about it. Uh, no, I'm not serious on that remark. But uh, it is actually also the first ever solo podcast I'm doing. So this could be a complete disaster. Uh, again, wasn't planning on doing this, but I didn't do one last week since I was traveling. My guest for this week actually ended up falling through. I won't be probably won't be able to do one next week. And I've only done one since the Ryder Cup, so I did want to uh, get back into the podcast game and uh, do my best to try to describe the trip. What I'm not going to do is tell you shot by shot everything I did on the entire trip. Uh, I think I, I wanted to serve as more of information purposes for the listeners. Uh, maybe you can relate to something that you experienced when, on an Ireland trip that you've been on, or I'm hoping that this will inspire some people as well to want to plan a trip like this because... Uh, it was. It's got some good competition. I've been. I've done Bandon Dunes. I've done Scotland. Um, so when I say it's definitely at minimum a top three uh, golf experience I've ever had, it's very. It very likely could be the number one. And uh, if I'm saying it, I think I need a little more time perspective to really evaluate that. Uh, it doesn't really matter though, and I'll get into that too when when I get the question inevitably comes to what my favorite course was. It doesn't really matter. It's not about the ranking. It's not about, um, like, if I look at a top list of courses in Ireland and see the order, that's not necessarily the order of what my favorites were. So it, it's really about the experience, and you'll, you'll see if you ever get out to these places that it doesn't really matter trying to, trying to say what's their favorite, what's your second favorite. Um, they're all just such incredible experiences. But the whole trip as a whole, um, doing it in October, we were a little bit – Suspicious of what the weather would be like, we hit the absolute jackpot. Uh, my dad met me for most of the trip. He he and I played five of the six rounds together, uh, driving the countryside and getting to experience that with my father was uh, a truly truly special. And uh, uh, see the look on his face at some of the places that we saw it was it was it was it was magnificent. And I came back just on a complete high and. Uh, I uh, oh yeah, I want to debrief, debrief from it because I want to motivate and give you guys uh, all the information you need to make a trip like this happen. Because um, it may be less, it may be a lot more affordable than you think it might be, and it, it's it's something that it, again, if you had the chance to do it with your dad or a family member that may not always be there or available to you know walk eighteen to thirty six holes a day, uh, do it as soon as you can. And this is such a special place to do it, and I'll get into a lot of reasons why. Um, if I do break down some of my shots or how I played or whatnot, uh, I, I, I'm doing it because I think it's important to my illustration of the experience. I'm very well aware that nobody cares about my fantasy football team. Nobody cares about your poker hands and nobody cares about the shot by shot, uh, of a round of golf that you played. But 
there are a few shots and a few holes, rounds, nine holes, 18 holes that you just kind of take with you as part of the experience. I know from my Scotland trip last year, there's two shots that just stand out in my mind that I take with me as far as hitting a shot, holding it up against the wind, letting the wind take it and having it really work out perfectly. And it's just the kind of shots that um, define the experience, if you ask me. And it's you picture yourself trying to execute these shots, and you tr- you fail nine times out of ten. But that tenth time, when you nail it, it is uh, it's just it's it's a feeling that you can't really replicate in other styles of golf. And um, just man, just talking about it for four minutes now, I'm already like back on the high from the trip. So uh, I'm going to talk about the courses I played, how to get around, where we stayed, how to make an itinerary. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to start. We, I flew in. I, so I did a trip to Ireland back in June. I went to Dublin, played four rounds of golf with Barry O'Hanrahan from the, a good talk spoiled, uh, podcast. Um, we played four magnificent courses, the Island club, Port Marnock, Killeen castle, and the K club. And while I loved all of those, Port Marnock probably stuck out the most to me. And it was that, that, that course that I walked away from, thinking about the most and how I would have liked to have played it differently if I, you know, got another chance at it. So I spent about three months, you know, in between these trips and in the time that I was thinking about Port Marnock, thinking about the conditions that I played it in and what I love so much about it. It's a Lynx style course, very old school. Um, It's on this little peninsula that you really have to see an aerial shot of it to to give the full appreciation for it. Um, there is a write-up on nolayingup.com. We actually have a new special travel section of our website for, for Ireland and Scotland if you guys want to see individual posts on the courses. Um, but th- this aerial shot just shows what kind of a peninsula you're on. And so the wind really whips at this place. And, you know, when we played at the, the deep rough, the heather was down a bit. So the point where you could always find your ball, yet it was still punishing. You couldn't walk in there and hit a five iron pure out of that thing. You had to, you know, take your medicine, get it back in play, but you always found your ball. And I love that. I think that's such a huge value to Lynx golf. We're not all professional golfers. We're going to hit it in the heather sometimes. Searching for balls, especially when you're playing a four ball, can be really detracting from the experience. Um, so I was picturing that. And then as well, I just imagined, uh, I'm thinking of the holes, the wind plays such a factor that I'm imagining the same winds again. So on that first tee, I hit driver the first time, and I'm like, you know what? It's downwind hole. I just need to hit a three iron out there. It's going to run, run, run. I'm still going to have a little sand wedge into it. So I get on that tee, and the wind is different this time. It's a little into us and left and left to right, and there's water right. And I'm thinking, I don't want to hit driver. I whenever there's a left to right wind, I get wet. I, I go, I go, I go way right, and it's going to get wet. Um, so I hit three iron, and I ended up having like a four iron into the green. Um, not quite the same strategy. Next hole, three iron. Again, had to have three iron into the green. I hit like three, four, and five irons into all the first three greens just because the wind was different, and I didn't adjust my strategy for what the current conditions were. And it was a true illustration for how a Lynx golf course can be so completely different in the two rounds you played it. Um, that's, and that's the, that's the whole point of it. You shouldn't. There is no like set way to play the golf course. It's going to depend on a day-by-day basis what the wind is doing. And I wasn't mentally prepared for that. So the first time at Port Marnock, I'm about a four handicap. Um, before I moved abroad, I was about a one. And I don't really play much golf anymore. I shot 85. I still loved it. And I was like, man, if I could do it again right now, I think I could shoot 75 easily. 
So I tried to take that same approach, like, all right, here's what I'm going to do differently this time, but I didn't adjust for the wind, and I shot the same exact score. I shot 85 again. And this time the rough was grown up some, so there was losing some balls in the heather. Uh, so, again, you just you never know what kind of a golf course you're going to get on these places. But I loved my second go around Port Marnock. I think I learned even more lessons, and it is one of those golf courses that is a really um, – I don't know. It's one of those you need to like play five times, five, six times probably before you feel like you know your way around the course, the proper way to play some of the shots, some of the holes. It really encourages you to take putter from way off the green. I can't describe how much fun that is once you get used to doing it. I love it. Uh, you just put the wedges away. There's no need to try to hit a 60 degree off these tight lies. Um, my dad, it took him a long time to learn it throughout the trip, but he eventually started to love doing it as well. And uh, it really does uh, add to the value of it. Um, before I go, and we're going to talk about most of my trip consists of going out west. The Dublin round was uh, we wanted to play. I wanted to show my dad Port Marnock, first of all. Um, and my friend Barry, uh, I actually came in earlier than my dad and stayed with my friend Barry and Bray. And we went to the Leinster Munster rugby match on Saturday, which was awesome. And we had a full day of drinking, eating, and doing it the Irish way. And that was a really, really cool experience. Woke up the next day, played at his club, the Glen of the Downs. I really liked that course. It's it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna rank up with the rest of the courses on the trip. But it was a great golf course, really fun golf course to play. Play with two of his friends. Um, and it was just kind of a good introduction, warm-up round, got to see where his, his club and, and what like a normal round of Irish golf was like because the rest of the trip was just like a fairy tale. I mean, it was not, like if, you know, if you're living in Ireland, you're not getting to play these top courses every day of the week. So uh, I, I feel hesitant to call it a normal course because it was a really fun course. I really did enjoy it. It is still one of the top. It's ranked somewhere in the top 100 of golf courses in Ireland. Um, but it was just a great to get a good glimpse into what a normal Saturday uh, round, Sunday round of golf is like for someone in Ireland, and it was a really cool experience. I really enjoyed that. Um, but then, uh, but before I get into too much details, I want to do a couple promotional items quickly. Um, if you didn't bail on this podcast immediately, that means you are somewhat of a fan of it. Um, we would really appreciate if you guys can go on iTunes and leave a rating and review. Uh, every time you guys do that, the podcast shoots way up the iTunes ranking charts. I don't understand their algorithms. I don't really care how they work, but uh, it does help the podcast get noticed by more people, which is really appreciated on our part. Um, we, you know, we do this. As, it's a labor of love, and uh, any feedback we can get from you guys, it is sincerely appreciated. Our download numbers have been ridiculous lately. I'm really encouraged by it and inspired by it. So we appreciate the love you guys give us, and we're going to keep pounding these things out and uh, providing you guys with good content. Uh, but any feedback you can provide in that regard is very, very much appreciated. Secondly, I don't know when the last time it was that you went by the No Laying Up Pro Shop. Um, first of all, I have almost nothing to do with it. I have give some input on some of the designs, so I'm not like tooting my own work at all when I say that what we ha- what Neil and the guys have put together in that pro shop is magnificent. We had the new no laying up polos, which are holderness and born material. They are like it is le- legitimately the greatest golf shirt I've ever worn. I have I have one of each of the ones we've uh, we've made. And I'm obsessed with it. It's the best material. Um, it's $87 in the pro shop. That may sound expensive to you, but it is it is a extremely high quality golf shirt. And if that's not up your alley, we have new visors. We have the the performance long sleeve black shirts are back in style. 
There's an Anthony Kim Legends Never Die shirt now. We have all kinds of Torsos hoodies, shirts, bucket hats, visors, uh, regular hats, uh, LPCP shirts. I'm telling you, just swing by the pro shop and look at it. It's ridiculous. We have like 10 pages worth of of items uh, in the pro shop now. So if you get a chance, swing by that. I promise you probably will find something you like. Um, continuing on, um, I did do, before I get into the details of the courses, I've done write-ups of four of the five courses we played out west so far. I still have to finish Karn, uh, but if you want to check those out again, nolangup.com. We have, a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a little travel thing at the top, or a, a subcategory where you can select Ireland or Scotland, and it's got all my write-ups from, from the, the Dublin trip as well as the Western Ireland trip, and then there's a Scotland tab as well for the Scotland trip I did last summer. Going to work on building this out during this kind of off-season period. I know I want to do something on Bandon Dunes, uh, some of the golf courses up in Michigan. I'd like to do one on Pasa Tiempo out in California. Um, so uh, these posts have been really highly received and recommended or uh, encouraged, I guess. I've been encouraged to do more of them, so I want to keep building those out. Um, and if you have any requests on any courses, um, please let us know. If we've played them, we'll, be, we'll gladly give a, give a write-up on it. So, All right. Back to the Ireland trip. My dad and I hopped in the car, um, t- driving on the left side of the road, steering wheel on the right side. It's quite an adjustment. I did a little bit in Scotland. Uh, this was the most I'd done it. I pretty much drove most of the entire trip. It's a little different in Ireland, too. They got some of their back roads are a little bit tighter than what I'm used to, and flipping to the other side of the road and other side of the car is uh, a little bit, little bit scary at times, but... Most of the drive out west to Killarney, three and a half hours that night, was main highway and roads, no problem at all. Um, we picked Killarney to stay in. We wanted to stay there two nights because we were going to, it's near uh, Waterville Golf Links, which is the first course we played. It's also pretty close to Tralee and Ballybunion, which were the next courses on our list. Um, we did not make it out to Oldhead. I know a lot of people have been asking me that. Um, hopefully, get that on the next trip. It is a regret that we didn't get to it, it didn't work with our itinerary. Um, and to be honest, I think playing any more, uh, of the top courses in the area in this amount of time, it would have been, uh, I don't want to say too much. It just would have been, uh, not properly spaced out enough to really fully appreciate the experiences. And I think we were aware of the risk of that, even going into the trip playing, you know, three, four of the top seven courses in Ireland in the course of a four, three day span, um, so we did our best to try to soak it up and, and, you know, people keep asking what my favorite is. It is really the, the links experiences from course to course do vary greatly. And as far as what, just how different they are. And it's really kind of a hard thing to put into words and describe, but like if I'm looking at a hole in my pictures, I can see a hole and I'd be like, that's Waterville. I can tell that's Waterville. And I can look at another random picture, like, that's Bally Bunyan. That's an easy one. That's Tralee. That's Lahinch. That's Karn. Like, the courses stand out on their own, and they are all very different. None of them blend together. Um, so your different experiences are kind of hard to rank up against each other. Like, the three courses that I think are in the running for my favorite are Lahinch, Bally Bunyan, and Waterville. Um, but again, the more I look back at our round at Tralee, I think I, I and I'll, I'll get into why, but I think I would have liked to have played that on its own day rather than play, playing on the same day as Bally Bunyan because it was just an impossible, impossible thing to follow. Um, but I, anyway, so we stayed in Killarney the first night knowing it's about an hour and a half drive to Waterville the next day. So Waterville is a clean five hours from Dublin. Um, 
It's about at the opposite end of the Ring of Kerry. The Ring of Kerry in the southwest corner of Ireland is this uh, a rather famous tourist route um, that a lot of people come come to visit just to drive that route to see the sights. And so we did a complete loop around the Ring of Kerry that day, drove the northwest part in the morning and then the southeast part afterwards. And uh, the northeast part was kind of, I mean, it wasn't, it was not the scenic part. I think the south southeast part of the uh, of the route is the much more scenic part. But you get to Waterville, it's out on this peninsula um, or and against the Atlantic Ocean, and we got there, and the wind was absolutely whipping. And I was licking my chops. Like, that was just like exactly kind of the experience you're looking for. No rain in the forecast, it was cloudy overcast, but wind whipping and it added to the experience significantly. I loved it. I loved every second of it. It helped a lot that I played almost as good as I could play at Waterville. Um, I was guessing right on a lot of the wind shots. I, at the end of the wind holes, I miraculously played really, really well. And I actually took down a couple notes while playing just of some of the ridiculous yardages of shots that, that I had to hit. Second hole, I mishit a wedge that went 170 yards. The fourth hole is a par three. I hit a wedge. It's 176 yards from the white tees. I hit a wedge on that. The, four, the fifth hole, I had to hit a seven iron from 126. The eighth hole, I hit my tee shot with a three iron, 300 yards. And the ninth hole, I had to hit a five iron from 156 yards. The 11th hole, 477 yard par five, three iron, seven iron to get there. Uh, the next hole coming back into the wind, par three, 164 yards, four iron. That is just like a glimpse into the, kind of the decisions you have to make uh, on this golf course. And I love the way, and it kind of reminded me a bit, I'm going to reference Bannon Dunes kind of bit, a lot on this. The way the terrain rolled from hole to hole, it didn't like, it didn't feel like each hole was carved out. It kind of just felt natural the way the holes rolled together, if you know what I mean. Like, there's not like necessarily walkways between the holes. It's just uh, I don't really know exactly how to describe it, other than it just kind of blends really well together. And the tee boxes were, were long and narrow, and I thought that gives gave the player like a really excellent visual on how to get off the tee. Kind of more of a mental thing. Um, and I think it, it. I don't know what it, what it did to for me exactly, but some of those holes where you're at the back of a tee box, it just helped me to have a long, narrow tee box in front of me as far as picking out my lines and give me a nice visual representation. Um, I just love playing Lynx golf and taking irons off the tee. I know that that may sound like laying up, but it's not at all when you know, you're playing a super downwind hole and you can get the three iron out there 300 yards and you don't want to hit it further than that. And, you know, you could, you know, there's bunkers that are in play at like 328 that you got to consider when you got a helping wind. And then there's bunkers that you got that are like 205 off the tee that you got to consider whether or not you can carry it um, with a driver on certain holes. It really is that ridiculous of an effect, and it's awesome. Um, so I just love taking irons off some of those tees, shaping, shaping the shots out there, watching them run, watching them fight the wind. Um, that, that, to me, is just what sticks out as far as just you know, really fun shots that you play in Lynx golf that you wouldn't normally play in a normal round of golf. And uh, mention one of those, those shots that kind of stand out to me was the ninth hole, that, that five iron I hit from 155. Um, everything in your instincts just makes you like, – my five iron is my 200-yard club. So we're talking about what I would consider a 45-yard wind. And it's more about the trajectory of the shot than it is the actual distance. Because I could, uh, you know, all things considered, if my 6-iron goes my normal ball flight and height, I can hit a 6-iron from that far. But 
the higher up club you go, the more you risk the balloon ball, like a dreaded balloon ball into these wins is it's like the shot you just fear the absolute most. And it happened to me once in this round. I tried to hit an eight iron from 120 and it ballooned on me and it went about 95 yards. So you have to find the, not only have to find the right yardage, you have to find the right club to get the trajectory under the wind or just not get that balloon ball. And so I went up, I was like, I can get six there, but I'm just going to hit five. I'm going to play a little bit back and I'm just going to pierce one through the wind hit about the purest shot I could ever hit and hit it about eight feet from the hole in what felt like the hardest wind into my face in my life. Of course, proceeded to gag the putt, but it's just getting one of those shots that I was like so proud of the way I executed it, thought my way through it. And it's just, again, one of those shots you can't really fully experience on a, on a, in a normal round of golf. And just one of those things that makes you really appreciate Link's style golf and just puts a smile on your face. And I'm, I'm laughing about it, thinking about it right now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to go hole by hole of what the exact courses are like because I think that's kind of what the write-ups are for and what the pictures are for. Um, So I just kind of, again, want to talk about my experience. And I played my ass off for 16 holes. I was four over par um, in, again, just absolutely whipping wind and sometimes three, four clubs into it. And then the crosswinds were actually what I found the hardest. And then I also tweeted the video of what happened to me on 17. Beautiful par three by the water, one of the signature holes there. The wind is blowing straight left to right out towards the water. I aimed like 30 yards left of the green, hit a little block push at the pin that the wind took 40 to 50 yards right of the green into the water. Complete ejection, triple bogey, 18th holes of par five, same wind left to right, couldn't aim far enough left, hit it into the hazard, made bogey, shot 80, didn't even break 80 in one of the best rounds I could have put together. Uh, still look back. I was upset about how I finished, but it was a matter of time before the wind finally got me. I look back at that Waterville round with, with the fondest of memories. And I, and so what made Waterville so fun to me was again, those link style, the elements that we got, the wind that we got. And part of me just wonders what it would have been like to experience it with wind down and like a really sunny day. Cause I've seen pictures on the website of what it looks like when it's sunny and it is just absolutely stunning. And it is still stunning with an overcast sky, but just in a different way. It looks so raw. It looks so authentic as far as its design and, and the way the dunes are shaped and uh, the way the holes sit um, and how they fit your eye. But um, I kind of, and I'll get on to this as well, just how much the weather can affect your experience. Um, so again, I, I would love to play Waterville again in different kind of conditions. I'd love to play all these courses again in different kind of conditions, but, um, you know, looking back on the trip it, and uh, I have different reasons for why I say Waterville, Valley Bunyan and Lahinch are my favorites and water to me, Waterville is just the playability of it and the challenge of it. It helped that I played really well. So again, that's, that's where, you know, if you, if I had played a bad round at Waterville, I may not have the same like, glowing things to say about it. And we'll get there with Karn because I did not play well at Karn at all. But um, just fantastic experience at Waterville. If you're, it, it's a, it's a must-do course. It's got to be on your list if you're going to do a Western Ireland trip. So we left Waterville after some lunch and had a, well, first we had to have a Guinness in the clubhouse. Um, I talked about this on the first Ireland podcast I did how good the Guinness tastes in Ireland, and it is a legitimate thing. It's kind of a meme, like uh, how Americans always say, like, oh, you've never had Guinness until you've had it in Ireland. But found out from my Irish friend, Barry, that um, the Guinness made in Ireland is actually different than any other Guinness anywhere in the world. 
it's the only place in the world you can get Guinness made in Ireland. Everywhere else, the Guinness comes from Nigeria, and it is a different beer. Um, so that it's again, it may be, maybe that mental effect does add to the taste factor of it, but I literally, after every round, I'm just craving one. I really am craving one with lunch and I had to have a Guinness. Any, any opportunity I got throughout the entire week to have a Guinness, I kept doing it and no regrets there. It, it really does add to the experience as well. And, um, it's just fun way to wrap up the round. Cheers into a Guinness in Ireland to, a, after playing one of the top golf courses in the world, um, where else can you say you've done that? Um, so after the round, we drove the rest of the Ring of Kerry back, and, and we saw the very scenic part, stopping at times, getting out, taking pictures, just taking in the views. It was a little bit cold at this point, windy, um, and we actually made our way to Killarney National Park on our way back as well. Popped out, did a little bit of hiking there, saw some waterfalls. Um, if we'd had more time, that's something I would have really liked to explore more. I know people, like my friends, have done trips out to Ireland where they go to the Cliffs of Mower and Killarney National Park and just do that for their entire trip. That was like an afterthought of this trip. If we were spaced it out a little bit better, and we couldn't based on schedules, but if we had, um, you, could, you could just do an absolute dynamite vacation as far as sight, combining sightseeing with some of these golf courses. And like I said, there's people that, that do, they make these trips just for the sightseeing. It is that beautiful. I know one of my friends, he's been all over Europe. He said his favorite trip he did was Ireland, just the sightseeing, Ring of Kerry, Killarney National Park, and Cliffs of Mower. Um, and he's not even a golfer. He didn't play any golf out here. So that gives you an idea of the other things that Ireland has to offer. Uh, God, it sounds like this thing has been paid for by Ireland Tourism Board. I swear it is not, but it really is that awesome. Um, so we made our way back uh, to where we stayed, our B&B in Killarney. And there's a, there's a, I think Killarney is a really good place to stay as a base um, or a first base for this trip. There's a ton of B&Bs and hotels all around there. It's set up very well for tourism. You might call it a bit touristy, but at the same time, you want to be near a city. You want to be somewhere where there's restaurants nearby. For us, we weren't planning to spend a lot of time there, so we wanted something that was kind of in and out. If you're looking for a B&B experiences, and we did do some B&Bs later in the trip, I think the best way to experience that is if you're planning to spend a, a little bit more time there, kind of relax, you know, meet the B&B owners, just talk with them and have that be part of your experience. For us, we were in and out in dark hours. We didn't even see the places in daylight because we were getting up before the crack of dawn to, to reach reach some of these places. Um, but I think that's a really good place to base yourself. It's near Adair Manor is another club that I think is closed right now for whatever reason, but that's another golf course that's nearby. Um, so if you use Killarney as a base, there's a lot to see and do other than just play golf there. Um, so we had some dinner in the city, had some more Guinness, and then we got up super early for our 8 a.m. tea time at Bally Bunyan. I had heard a lot about Bally Bunyan. I think it's probably the most famous Ireland course amongst Americans, and they do get a lot of Americans there. Um, but I'd, it's kind of famous to the point where I heard a few things about it that weren't the highest praise. Like I felt like some people that view themselves as really true travelers and Ireland golfers like refuse to rate Bally Bunyan that high because, you know, they have their own little niche course. The, oh, you got to see this one. If you've never heard of this course, it's great. It's great. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect with Bally Bunyan. And we had the very first tea time of the day, sunrise round. And, and again, this is kind of where I'm going to emphasize that it totally depends on the con- what kind of weather and conditions can have on your experience. 
it was a little bit windy, but not much. And as the sun came up over those dunes, I can honestly say it was at minimum a top five scenic round I've ever played. Um, up there with Pebble Beach, Pacific Dunes, Bandon Dunes. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time really, really putting any any other course up in the same realm as far as visually stunning views of the ocean, incredible shadows made by the dunes when the sun was at a really low light. Like all the pictures you see on the website, they're either done at sunrise or sunset. It makes it just look fictional. We saw it in that light and it was like, it was laughable. My dad and I were were actually strolling the fairways, laughing, giggling about what was in front of our eyes. Um, The golf course itself was really fun, enjoyable. There were some design quirks that I didn't think were the best. Um, and I wrote about that in, in the write-up as well. The 11th hole is a beautiful, stunning hole. I didn't think it was a great golf hole. A uh, little bit more ball search, uh, searching for your balls there. Um, and a few holes on the front nine. You're teeing off on back-to-back par fives. Actually, you're teeing off directly over the green that you just played in front of you. This was no issue for us being first off. But I really wonder how that plays with like a full tee sheet. And it was just a little bit quirky in that regard. But once you get out to the 7th hole, it's just this hole right up against the cliff. I mean, it was, it, it just like, it smelled different. It sounded different. Like you're hearing the waves from the ocean and you're playing this hole that just, the fairway runs right up to the cliff. There's a sign that says like steep cliff, beware. I mean, it was like, it was golf perfection. It was Nirvana. We're in the early morning light. We're still sweeping the dew off, dew off the grounds. And just, it, it reminded me a ton of the fourth hole at Pacific Dunes as far as scenery. And that's, that's one of the most beautiful holes I've ever played. Um, and it was just one of those holes, like I didn't, once we were finished with it, I didn't want to walk away from it. I didn't want to be done with this hole. Uh, but luckily, when you get to the back nine, there's even more scenery. There's more high points where you can see the water from. And, uh, and it's just, it's got all the elements of a Lynx course, again, that, that are really fun as far as the way you have to play your shots. It's, it didn't have the same, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the right word is. I'll call it like run-up effect as what we had at Waterville, meaning you need to land your ball in front of the green if you want to get it close to the pin. It didn't play as firm and as challenging in that regard. Uh, but it was, again, that's just how a Lynx, two Lynx courses that are not that far away from each other can just vary so much in how they play. And you can't, it's not some set formula that you got to follow for each course. Like you really do have to adjust to the conditions on a, on a, you know, hole by hole and course by course basis. Um, but we, I mean, we absolutely loved it. It was one of the best golf experiences I've ever had. Uh, 15th hole, beautiful, stunning par three, long par three. 17th hole is like a dog leg left that aims you at the ocean to start from a big elevated tee box and then dog legs left along the water. Um, yeah, I mean, God, it was just, I have, a, I have a lot of pictures in my post on Bally Bunyan for a reason. It was the most scenic course we saw of any of them. It's the one that just like stands out the most from a visual perspective in my mind. And we really enjoyed our day there. I played, I played really well there as well. Kind of choked it coming in. I shot a 77. Um, I was like one under through six holes or something like that and had some chances to be even lower than that. So I made a couple doubles on the back and uh, kind of struggled my way in, but it's, it's, it's a course that's going to get you in that regard. This was a, and we also noticed that, um, there's these pathways in between a lot of the holes. And I wrote about this as well, that, uh, these grass tightly mown pathways are fantastic on your feet. And when you're walking 18 holes, 36 holes a day, um, 
it can be a grind. It really can be a grind. Uh, so to have, you know, just a, a, like a almost sponge like feeling on your feet as you're walking through the dunes and through the rough, it really did add to the experience and the attention to detail of these paths. It was just beautiful. You just kind of felt like you were truly in a special place, a place that would show that much care to the areas that you walk between the T and the fairway and between holes. Um, it really did add to the experience and, uh, I don't really know how other way to describe it other than if, I think if you saw it and walked it, you would feel the exact same way. Um, so fantastic day at Bally Bunyan and we were not done for the day, but before I get into our afternoon round at Truly, I want to address something. I think I'm far enough into this. So hopefully at least some people have stopped listening, but, uh, quite a controversial topic that I am willing to be out on a limb on commit to and say is the correct side to be on. It might surprise some of you. I'm not afraid of it anymore. It feels good to say it. Get it out there. I'm all in on push carts. It's cool. It works. All right? I don't don't even consider mentioning me. Do not at me about this. Push carts are fine, all right? If you refuse if you are a hater on push carts, the only person I who the only people that I will allow to hear your feedback on are if you carry your bag every single round that you ever play, then I'll, I'll listen to your criticism on push carts. But I want to hear your criticism on caddies, I want to hear it on golf boards, and I want to hear it on golf carts as well. Because if we're talking about laziness or we're talking about wussiness or anything like that, comparing a push cart to a golf, an actual golf cart is not even comparable, okay? When you're walking 18 to 36 holes a day, Strapping a bag on your back on and off 150 times throughout the day is going to wear you out. Taking these push carts and pull carts through up and down these hills and and dunes and ferries 100% saved us so much energy. You don't want to go to these courses and and take golf carts. It's not part part of the experience is the walk. Um, Yet at the same time, you want to play as much golf as you can while you're out there. Carrying your own bag for 36 holes a day, not that realistic. My father's 57 years old. He's in pretty good shape, but he's not carrying his bag for for 36 holes a day. I don't want to carry my bag for 36 holes a day. I did it in Scotland, and I wore myself out. Um, so again, if you take a if you take a cat, I, I just don't understand how people make fun of people for taking push carts. Yet will pay someone else to carry their bag for them, like. The push cart, and we even got some of the battery ones, which were just awesome. Like, you can set it at a certain speed, walk next to it, and it's like you've got a caddy. So I'm willing to be on this side. I don't care what anyone says about the push carts. Um, if you're playing this much golf, it's unrealistic to think that you can carry your bag on all the holes. Done. That's my rant. I'm committed to it. Push carts are huge in Europe. Uh, they're big in Scotland. They're big in Ireland. Everyone uses them. No one even thinks twice about it. Uh, America, it's, it's time to get over our uh, criticism and our, our view of, of push carts as, as being you know less than manly or whatever. All right, done. Afternoon round, 2.40 tea time at Tralee. About a 40-minute drive. If I could have done it geographically different, if I could have done Tralee, then Bally Bunyan, that would make a lot more sense as you make your way up the coast. We actually had to backtrack a little bit to play Tralee, but definitely a course I did not want to miss. We had one of the last tee times of the day, and we uh, we finished our round at sunset after starting it at Bally Bunyan at sunrise. It was um, as perfect of a day of golf as you can get. I once played Bandon Dunes and Pacific Dunes in the same day, and I played the old course at St. Andrews at, and Kings Barnes in the same day. Again, not one of ranking the, fa- the my favorites of those of those three days of golf, but that it belongs in the same category as far as just golf perfection. 
Um, Tralee, uh, you know, all these places are private clubs that have open tea times, right? So it's, it's, it's ran by the members, yet guests can come, pay a fee, obviously, and play. And I just love that atmosphere about Ireland. Like the top private clubs in the United States, you cannot call up and say, give me a tea time. You got to know a member. You got to know somebody that can get you off. Um, that, that aura of um, exclusiveness just does not exist at any of these clubs that I played in Ireland. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying where these ones that we played, that, that aura is completely gone. You feel welcome from the moment you step on the grounds. It was clear that we, my dad and I stuck out because members came up to us and just started, hey, welcome to Trilly. Like They definitely didn't recognize us. They knew we were guests, but couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more welcoming. Starter comes up to us and says, you know, we have a couple members, four balls going off first. Um, not sure you're going to be able to get all 18 holes in. I may send you guys off the back. If this group coming off nine makes the turn, I can't do it. But if they don't, I'm going to send you off the back because the back is the more impressive nine. And just that, that kind of care and hospitality that goes into uh, it's, it's, it goes into your experience, it's everywhere across Ireland that I've ever been. And it's the same in Scotland as well. People are there to make sure you have a good experience, yet at the same time, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a little under the weather. Um, at the same time, they're not trying to wipe your ass. They're not looking for a tip. They're not looking for anything for you. It's not fake at all. They just genuinely want you to enjoy your experience. Uh, we ended up having to go off the front nine behind the four balls. I don't recall waiting for more than 30 seconds on any shot, any hole. We played the 18 holes in three hours, 54 minutes, everybody out there walking, no golf carts. Pace of play over there, it's just different. People just get up and they play their ball. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. I think we were more concerned about – there's a couple of kids that came up after us that um, were playing behind us. We were more concerned about keeping pace with the group in front of us than we were about waiting. Uh, truly fantastic golf course. And it's again, what I mentioned earlier, I kind of wish that we had its own day dedicated to it because just because it had an impossible act to follow, which was Bally Bunyan. We couldn't have got better weather. Uh, we got hot at one point playing at Bally Bunyan. It was so sunny out. Um, just, a, and it was just a perfect morning and we got a little bit of overcast in the afternoon which, again, is nothing to complain about when you're playing golf in Ireland, especially in October. As soon as we finished our trip, it started raining in Ireland, and I think it's still raining there. Like We took all the good weather, um, but and when we got to the very end of our round at Tralee, the sun popped out, and that same visual effect that I uh, mentioned at Bally Bunyan as far as the sun hitting the dunes and the shadows and the way that brought the course to life from a visual perspective, we saw a glimpse of it at the very end, and that was kind of like, Oh, man. I was like, I would die to be able to play this back nine again with this kind of sunlight. Like, it, 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 and again, it's, I don't really know how to describe it other than like these huge dunes that frame these holes. When the sun hits them, it is like the most picturesque, like stereotypical golf uh, or just illustration of Lynx golf that you could imagine. So I feel a bit spoiled by even remotely complaining about the weather, but um, I feel like if we'd have had that sun, Tralee would also be up there in my mentions as 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 potentially the favorite course that we played. Uh, the front nine, I don't want to call it nondescript. I think it's just very different than the back nine, very different than the other courses we played. It's pretty wide open. Um, they have like a lot of stone work that is uh, all kind of all over Ireland. From I don't know what era it's from, but it's definitely from a previous era kind of mark the edges of properties and to be used to, uh, to maintain your farm animals and your cattle 
um, with it's, it serves as sort of a fence. They have a bunch of old ones like that, and they use that to frame the holes. It's so cool. Um, reminded me a lot of a course I played in Scotland called Crail. That just uh, kind of the same little uh, kind of similar pieces of land and, and shape and whatnot. Also, Tralee had the biggest, most amazing driving range I've ever seen. We didn't use it. We saw it on, not until the back nine. It is like the widest fairway, tightly mown thing you'll ever see in your life. I'll see if I can get a picture. I should put a picture of it on the in the post. But um, really cool holes in the front. There's a hole where you aim at a castle tower that's right behind the green. Um, good mix of challenging and easy holes. Again, the wind is 100% factor out there. Then you make the turn, and the dunes just come alive and uh, frame the holes so perfectly, give you more challenge than you can imagine. There's so much more elevation change on a lot of these holes. The 13th is a par 3 that's like an uphill carry to this green that's kind of blocked. You, you can't see the putting surface, but there's a huge dune that surrounds it. And then in front of the green is just a 60-yard cliff of a dune that if you miss short, it's rolling to the bottom of that dune, and you're not you're not good at catching getting your ball. Like it's too steep of a cliff to go down and get your ball. Such an intimidating shot into the wind. I hit a six iron from 140, and again it was one of those shots that I'm taking with me. I just absolutely nutted it, drew it back to this back left flag. It hit off the back dune, came down to about 12 feet, and I rolled in the birdie for a really unlikely birdie. It's one of the hardest holes out there, and it's like one of those image shots that I take with me. Um, I think I shot 80 at Tralee. I didn't play great. A um, little bit, little bit tired, a little fatigued on the, on that second 18. But um, some really, really fun holes, especially on that back nine. It was a drivable par four, 16th, um, or may, maybe it's the 15th. I'm sorry. <coughs> beautiful, yeah, it is the 15th. The beautiful par three, 16th, and then a, a, a funky little uphill par four, 17th, and an uphill par five, 18th. Really great finish along the water. Um, and again, we just love the hospitality we got there, and it was it was just a, a a course that deserves its own day, and it deserves its own dedication to it. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch from Tralee, but it, it it was a kind of a blur of a day, and just such a such a special experience. I'm so glad we got to see the course in that light at the end of the day, and I have a p- couple pictures of that in uh, in our Tralee post uh, on the website as well, so you can see um, what it really looked like. Um, so that was our day, but we weren't done. Unfortunately, we had about a two and a half hour drive up to our B and B that we're staying in, up near the cliffs of Mower, um, for our next round on the trip. And that was at La Hinch and La Hinch also came highly recommended. It's in the top five of any list you'll see of top golf courses in Ireland, but had a couple people also emphasize how much they enjoyed La Hinch and it did not disappoint. We were uh, one of the first tee times, 8.50, caught another amazing sunrise, had great weather again, a little bit more clouds than Valley Bunyan, but um, amazing course, totally different than both of the pre- in both all three of the courses we had just played and totally different than Port Marnock. Um, mixture of dunes and wide open holes. I thought it was the most playable dunes we had as far as if you hit your ball in them, you're not losing it. Uh, you can mostly find it. It was quite punishing if you were in it, but um, I think I played the entire round. I did play the entire round with one ball, did not lose a single ball there. Um, what sticks out for Lahinch the most to me was it was by far the best round I played on the trip. I stung the ball really well. 
I putted it, I recovered when I made mistakes, and I somehow made my way around an even par, um, which, I mean, never have I <coughs> remotely come close to that playing Lynx Golf. And when you do go play Lynx Golf, you just, you, you can't expect to shoot your handicap out there. It's such a different style. It's so challenging. A simple 140-yard shot has all these factors to think about that you may not have ever thought about before. To kind of piece it all together, and I, we admittedly got a really calm morning, especially by standards of, a, of Lynx Golf as far as wind. It was not much of a factor. It was a factor at times, but... Um, I just I I have so many shots I'm taking away from that four birdies four bogeys even par and uh, my dad I my dad knew how happy I was about it um, but he's pretty pretty flat and emotionally guy he doesn't he doesn't exhibit a ton of emotion and on the 18th green he just patted me on the back and said that it was one of the best rounds he'd ever seen me play uh, which I, again just I, I'm not saying that for bragging reasons other than like that is the experience that I'm, t- I'm walking away from this trip. Like my dad patting me on the back, congratulating me on the round, him going up and bragging to the starter, uh, who was quite, the starter was absolutely shocked that someone had made it around an even par for that day. It was, uh, it just, it was like the perfect day of golf. And I just absolutely love the golf course. Unfortunately, the post, I, and I talked about this in the post I made on the Hinch, my camera or my phone like almost completely malfunctioned during this round. And if somebody can help me with the problem, the details of it are in the LaHinch post. But some of the most scenic holes I don't even have pictures from. And the, what's, the one hole that sticks out in my mind is the sixth hole where you just hit this shot, approach shot down the hill towards the ocean to this green that just sits there. It looks like it's sitting there meant to be taken a picture of or meant to be a framed photo. Um, so many shots like that, so many holes like that, especially on the front nine. Uh, Lahinch is just such a cool place. And uh, two, two holes I forgot to talk about in the post where it's called the Klondike, the Klondike hole and the, uh, you know what, I'm going to screw this up. Uh, the fourth and fifth hole are two original holes that were designed and approved by old Tom Morris that have been um, completely untouched. And it's this par five that normally I don't like blind par five. I'm sorry, it's the Klondike and Dell holes. I don't normally like blind shots. It's this par five that's a, it's a, like a tunnel uh, off the tee. And, like there's these dunes that frame the hole that looks like you can't really miss the fairway. And then you've got to hit a shot over this dune that, and they have a stone up on top of the dune that signifies where the pin is for that day. So basically, if you're in the middle of the fairway, you've got to aim at this stone and just hope it goes well. And I had a good drive, a good five iron over that, and, and chipped on and made a birdie. Uh, amazing. Such a cool hole. And there's actually a marshal that stands on top of that dune and directs traffic. Because uh, when people make their way through the back nine, you've actually got to cut across that hole um, so, uh, to get to a, the 18th. I think it's the 18th tee box at that point. So you need somebody up there directing traffic, telling the guys in the fairway when you can go, when the guys are off the green, when people can cross, etc. And then you play this little par three coming back. It's actually a double hole. There's separate tee, There's two tee boxes and two greens, um, and I forget which one we. I don't know how to describe which one we played, but it's just a little wedge par three, tiny little green, all surrounded by heather. Um, and again, it's amazing that those holes have gone completely untouched. Uh, Patty Keene, the general manager there, was telling me about it in an email, and I, I uh, he noted that I had not talked about that in my post and missed that, and I definitely did miss it. And that just goes to show how many how many cool things there are to say about Lahinch, like two holes that are. 
originally designed by old Tom Morris. I completely forgot to write up in my post, and I think I wrote 2,000 words alone on the hinge. So um, we talked to a guy in the clubhouse afterwards that mentioned he was kind of disappointed in the course because of lack of scenery, and my dad and I had a good laugh over that, over over some beers at lunch, saying, looking at the scenery that we were looking at, like, just kind of joking, like, yeah, I agree, it's kind of disappointing. Absolutely not disappointing. It is a stunning course, beautiful scenery, and a great design to it. I just love the playability of it. Again, that may be heavily influenced by the fact that I played really well, um, but I just, it, it the course suited my eye. I would love to go back there. All these courses I would love to go back and play again, but La Hinch really stands out to me, probably mostly because I played really well. Um, but, man, I will just have the strongest memories of that place. And this, it was just like, and to this point, again, I don't know. It, it The trip just it couldn't get any better at this point. Like, it, it was going so well. The weather was great. Hadn't gotten into an accident yet on the roads. Um, and that afternoon, again, perfectly sunny afternoon, we drove 15 minutes from La Hinch and went to the Cliffs of Mower. Like, something like 6 million people a year visit the Cliffs of Mower. Like, the population of Ireland, more than the population of Ireland, visits Cliffs of Mower. People make entire trips out of going to go see this magnificent place. And we're just doing an Ireland road trip or an Ireland golf trip, and we pop over after 18 holes at one of the top 50 courses in the world, and we go see the Cliffs of Mower like it's just a little side activity. And they are magnificent as well. We spent a few hours there, and we just kind of had to laugh about, like, that's just a, a throw-in part of this trip. <laughs> it's, you know, this, this place that's worth seeing completely on its own, and it's 15 minutes from a course we just played and had the time of our lives playing. Um, yeah, I mean, why, I don't think – hopefully I've given you enough incentive to add La Hinch to your list, but if that's not enough, I don't really know what is. The B&B we stayed at was in Doolin. It was really affordable. Um, I think we ended up paying around 80 to 100 euros a night to sleep very comfortably uh, for two people. So if you're planning a buddy's trip, you can easily budget. You can easily sleep for 40 euros a night. Um, Again, that's about 45 US dollars a night. And you'd probably do it much cheaper than that if you really wanted to. to get around, and it's it's just not that the B and B's and the food and everything's just not that expensive. Our rental car, I think, was only maybe two hundred euros for five days, so forty euros a day, forty five bucks a day. You probably need a bigger car if you did like a buddy's trip of four people, but again, that's like yeah, forty five euros a day. We you can split it two ways, so t- basically twenty bucks a day to get around. The gas is not expensive if you get a diesel car. Um, the golf is. Decently expensive, I mean, but the as far as comparable to places you're going to play, even in Northern Ireland or in Scotland when you're using the British pound, or places the top places in the U.S., it is very affordable. And, you know, 150 euros green fees sometimes. Carn, I think, is actually only 40 or 60 euros. Um, Waterville, you know, those courses may get up in the 250 range, 240, 230 range. I don't know exactly what the what the standard regular season prices are, but that's kind of an afterthought. I think the the, the what can deter people from wanting to do these trips is the expense. And I know flights to Ireland are not cheap, but you'd be actually probably be pretty surprised if you do it in, far enough in advance how cheap you can fly to Dublin on. Um, and then once you're here, nothing is really that expensive other than the greens fees, and even them are not that bad. I just I feel like a lot of people are turned off by the cost of an overseas golf trip, but. It can be done, and again, if you're flying international, you're not going to have like uh, you know most airlines that you're going to they're going to let you check a bag for free. You're not paying a baggage fee to carry your golf clubs on. Um, I just think that these trips, it, it, 
the cost can be such a, a prohibitive factor, but I, I just wouldn't let it rule your thought process. Uh, walking away from the experience that I just had, I would have paid a lot more than we did pay for it. Um, and uh, it, it really is just, it, uh, man, it, it really is that special. But one last course, I know I've been rambling on here. After our Cliffs of Mower, we made the trip three and a half hours up to Bell, Bell Mullet, up in the like an, um, a a corner of wet Northwest Ireland uh, to play a course called Carn Golf Links. I'd heard some amazing things about this place. Uh, my my friend Barry said it was his favorite in all of Ireland. We met, it's a long trip. We stayed at a great B and B up there. had a, had a mid morning tea time. There was almost no one out there. Uh, I really did enjoy the golf course. It is a tough walk. So back to what I was saying earlier about the Ballybunion and the La Hinch. Um, I think tr- the Ballybunion and La Hinch walkways are what st- they really stuck out to me as far as how well-groomed they were. Karn did not have these in as many places, and it did affect our energy level greatly. Some of the walks between holes, taking a push cart up a lot of those uh, those hills was taxing. It was exhausting. Um my dad, again, he's 57, but in good shape. He was worn out after 18 holes. He didn't care for the course as much as I did. I really did enjoy it, but I was exhausted after 18. They have 27 holes there. I did opt to go out for nine more, and about three holes in, I was regretting it just because my energy was pretty much zapped from playing. This was our sixth day, my sixth day in a row playing golf, and one of those days included a 36-hole day, all walking, and this, the dunes and the elevation changes in these fairways are insane. There's a few holes, just the most massive dunes you could ever imagine framing the hole. The 11th hole, this has this dune that is, I, my dad hit it in the dune. It couldn't stand on the dune to get it to hit the ball. The ball was so far below his feet. So massive, so steep, incredible visual effects. Uh, I felt like Karn was a really raw golf experience, really raw links experience in that, it really embraced the elements of the nature better than any of the other courses we played. It felt like, and they pride themselves on, on saying that they didn't use any bulldozers really to build this course. Like they didn't move the dunes around. They kept everything natural and built the course around it. I thought that worked to its benefit and its deterrent at times. I mean, some, some hills that you got to traverse are just tough, really tough. Um, I'd heard some bad things about the greens at Karn. We did not experience poor greens at all. I thought they rolled very true. Very easy to read, um, and we got a lot of wind out there too, which again I embrace. I enjoy that that factor. Um, I think it's a lot of fun to you know hit seven irons from two hundred and twenty yards sometimes, and four irons from one fifty. But uh, I, neither of us played very well at Carn. I think that we were just a little bit wiped. I think at that point of the trip, it was a lot of golf in a tight period of time. I think under the right circumstances, I would definitely find a way to say that Carn was totally worth the drive up there. Um, I think if I was to do it again, I would want to play more courses in that area. I know uh, County Sligo and Enniscrone are courses that are nearby there that we didn't get to add. Um, I think if you're going to do that trifecta, it is a thousand percent worth making that trip. Um, driving three and a half hours up to Bell Mullet um, just to play Carn in hindsight probably wasn't our best plan. Just considering there's also great courses. Um, I know Dunebag and Dukes are two courses that a lot of people have mentioned to me we didn't get to play on this trip that are still in that same area. Um, that I, I so again I'm 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 big fan of Carn. I would love a chance to play Carn again under full energy um, and as a part of a trip in that section of Ireland. 
I think uh, the way we drew out our itinerary, it just didn't make a ton of sense to have that be our last course um, that far out of the way from all the other courses that we played. So, um, there, and there's a reason, like I didn't go up to Northern Ireland on this trip. Like you just can't do everything all in one trip. So if I was to do it again, I would say Carn as a separate trip, maybe play with County Sligo and Ennis Crone. And I know there's even more, more courses up in that area that I'm probably not even aware of that would totally be worth its own trip. Because again, I'm being so particular about this, um, in that, like it, you're just so sp- I'm so spoiled from having done this trip. The, the whole experience is just 100% meets the hype, exceeds the hype. Um, to be able to do it with my dad, I mean, it was. He, he just looked at me at the end of that trip and just looked me in the eye and said, uh, "That was one of the best trips I've ever done." And it really was. I mean, it, it just worked out so great. We're so thankful for the weather we got. Thankful for all the recommendations we got from people, um, all the clubs that helped accommodate us. It was just just a miraculous experience. It's awesome. I hope that you listen to this and think and are motivated to want to do this trip. Or if you have the trip already planned, um, hopefully this has gotten you even more excited. Or if you've done something like this, hopefully I touched on a lot of things that helped make the Ireland trip special for you. Um, so thank you for tuning in to 55 minutes of me just ranting about how awesome um, my Ireland golf experience was. I'm still going to do some kind of summary post, kind of touching on a lot of these points, but I uh, needed to flesh out some of my thoughts. You know, it's hard, to, it's hard to write about it. Like, I'm literally Googling synonyms for adjectives because I feel like I'm using the same ones over and over again. But uh, while it feels like my praise for uh, every review I've written is strong praise for every course, there's a reason because of that, of that, and um it's that these golf courses are just truly, truly special places, such such awesome experiences. Um, I know that I've been trying to encourage the other No Laying Up guys to get a trip scheduled out here. I know they've got a lot of other life stuff going on that makes it a lot more challenging. Not everyone can do this trip. Not everyone has the time. Not everyone has the capability um, to make it all work with their schedules. Um, I do understand that, but just, just know that uh, I can't emphasize enough how special this week was with my dad, this whole experience. I can't wait to make my way back there. I'm going to try to go back there before I'm supposed to move home to the U.S. in about nine months, but I'm definitely planning to make a trip back out there in the spring. So um, if you have any questions on any of the courses, any uh, logistical questions, anything, please feel free. Uh, respond. You can sit, I, I don't see all my replies on Twitter, but if you shoot an, a comment on the actual website, I will see that for sure. Shoot us an email. Uh, direct message on Twitter will work as well. Anything. Um, and again, please, guys, if you don't mind leaving a, a review rating on iTunes, that helps tremendously. Um, I won't probably have a podcast next week. I'm actually going to be in Nigeria for most of the week, um, so I may not ever have a podcast again, depending on how that goes. Um, hoping to have a – there's a couple I, – I could potentially have some really nice guests lined up for this fall. Uh, trying to really nail that down, it can be hard to track down some of these guys and get them to commit to times, but – Hopefully some good time, good uh, good times to come here on the No Lang Up podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. <laughs>